So is Lana Del Rey or Taylor Swift better? Oh my god. <laughs> this isn't even that's not even a fair question. It's Lana Del Rey. I don't trust oh my god. as Taylor Swift stands. Sorry. This is my Either. favorite bit is I just say something random to you at the beginning. Yeah, there's no there's no conversation about this. I just get completely put on the spot. Oh, but that's easy. No brainer. Perfect answer. Uh, welcome back to the Trouble Feature Podcast, where we don't talk about music, we talk about movies, because we love them. And if you love movies, like we do, you're in the right place. So in today's episode, and like every episode, what we do is we pick two films, a double feature, so to speak, and we talk about what are the great things between the two movies, maybe those threads, we connect them, maybe there's a shot that speaks to another shot, maybe the directors are making movies that respond to other directors, that's the stuff that interests us, and that's what's in this show. Um, on today's episode, we're doing kind of, to me, a very random double feature. Thank you, Siobhan, for bringing it to us. Mm-hmm. Willy Wonka and Snowpiercer. So, Willy Wonka, I'll let you read that logline as I pull up Snowpiercer. Perfect. Okay, so if you don't know, Willy Wonka is <laughs> the way I had a. Uh... Snowpiercer below. Okay. 1971 film directed by Mel Stewart. Um, tagline, it's scrum diddlyumptious. An eccentric Candyman Willy Wonka prompts a worldwide frenzy when he announces that golden tickets hidden inside five of his delicious candy bars will admit their lucky holders into his top secret confectionery. But does Wonka have an agenda hidden amid a world of Oompa Loompas and Chocolate Rivers? A classic. Wow, as you're reading that, that's so funny because I have so many texts about it, but let me do Snowpiercer, 2013 film, which is also a television show now, I believe, um, by Bong Joon-ho. Um, it's set in um, 2031. The passengers in the train are the only survivors left on Earth. In a future where a failed global um, warming experiment kills off most life on the planet, a class system evolves aboard the Snowpiercer, a train that travels around the globe via perpetual motion engine. Now, those are two drastically different movies. Yeah. Are they, though? We're going to find out. Are they? I'm really excited to get into it. What did you think? When was the last time you had watched Willy Wonka before we just watched it for this episode? Definitely. So I believe Willy Wonka is a film that gets played during the holidays. And I feel that I have seen it um, at someone's house, maybe your house, or a friend, family friend. Now, watching it in adult life with a child, I really had a different take on it because I don't think I really sat down from beginning to end with intention to watch the movie since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think on the second blush, really, what was most interesting to me is how the satire and comedy really stuck out to me, or more so, I think when I was younger, I'm just like, wow, Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, he's insane. Yeah. You know, instead of that, he's, he's intentionally that way to make a POV or point on um, what is happening in front of the screen. So I think that's really what stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that stuck out to you on your Willy Wonka watch? I don't know. I think same. Like I definitely watched it in its entirety several times as a kid and then in passing bits and pieces. And it's one of those things where I was like, I probably don't need to rewatch it because I know what happens. But when I was rewatching it, I was like, okay, this is, it definitely was way more satirical. There's so many things in it that are just straight up jokes and they're just like sneaky and kind of also not for kids in that way the way they just go over 
a child audience's head. Um, and then the message is super different too. I feel like I noticed they spent a lot more time building up to the chocolate factory than what the like maybe 30 minutes of the movie. That's everything that happens inside of it. Um, so it was an interesting rewatch, but I, I loved it more. I appreciated it more. Yeah. No, appreciate it is a good word. I, I think it was very poignant that the first half of the movie, they're not even in the chocolate factory where yeah. everything I remember about the movie is from the chocolate factory. I know. So I the watching it started at the chocolate factory, mm-hmm. to be honest. But what stuck out to me this time, that hour that they're building the chocolate factory is just how much comedy is packed in that. And I did not realize it in the beginning, but they're essentially like comedy, like almost comedy skits or comedy vignettes. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, there's two that come to mind. One is um, the man having the supercomputer of the day yeah. in 1971, try to pinpoint the location of um, who, where the winners are. Mm-hmm. And that was a hilarious scene um, as the supercomputer decided not to participate. And the other one was the wife whose husband gets kidnapped. And again, the tone of that scene is so different than the rest of the movie as it yeah. starts. And it's about like a three to five minute scene. And all for the kidnappers to want her Willy Wonka bars and for her to say, well, can I have some time to think about it? So those are like really quippy, like comedic scenes yeah. um, that almost feel like out of this movie world. Like they're almost like a separate thing from the movie. That really stuck yeah. out to me. And they're, they're definitely just trying to build up and explain to the audience, like this is how bad everybody wants this and how insane it's been. Like they're auctioning these off for like tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, that scene with the wife, like, gauging whether or not she wants to sell her case of Wonka bars to save her husband. It reminded me of like a 1-800 context commercial (laughs) where it's like, just like making fun clearly of like a soap opera or something like that. And it's very dramatic, but another weird little piece of comedy that's never addressed, which is why I think this is like very satirical when they're interviewing Augustus Gloop and his family, they're like trying to show just how like, you know, greedy they are. Like they're just eating and the interviewer puts the microphone up to the, as like Mr. Gloop's mouth, and he just bites the head of the microphone off. And then they just like never address it ever again. They're just like, oh yeah, okay, that's what he does. And he just eats the microphone. It's just random things like that where I'm like, what the hell is really going on here? Subtleness is like the through line for this movie, and there's so many subtle things that are not very outrageous. And I think. Mm-hmm. That is what's interesting because when you think of a children's movie, you think that the jokes are outrageously in my face. Mm-hmm. In this movie, the scenes and the action are outrageous, but the jokes are very subtle. I think yeah. that was something I just thoroughly enjoyed. And the other piece is just how like subtly like Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder's character, I don't even think likes children. I'm not even sure. It's yeah, just like right? his attitude towards everyone in there is hilarious on um, a watch now. And I think Gene Wilder is just like such a he's a master at that weird like subtle like acting with his eyes and like being very cavalier about things but then it, upon rewatching you're like that's funny. I like him. I miss him. RIP. Rip. Yeah. Um you know another one I'll throw out here cuz this may be interesting when we get to Snowpiercer is um outside of this film when you think about how it got produced is quite a big story cuz it's Quaker Oats who um, put all the funding for this movie with the intention of trying to create like a new kind of kids movie. I find that just so interesting because it's like, I don't really associate Quaker Oats with this kind of whimsical trippy kind of comedy. Yeah, for real. Also 
Quaker Oats that's oatmeal, which is healthy for you. This is a movie about mm-hmm. candy. Is it like a cons- like they're trying to like it's a conspiracy that they want kids to be afraid um, of candy now? I don't know. Buy more oatmeal, maybe. Well, con- conspiracy is a word I think is going to come up a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So I think we can pivot to Snowpiercer. Um, what, what were your thoughts and recommendations? Um, not recommendations. It's not my marketing podcast. Um, this is a film podcast. Um, what did you think about Snowpiercer? I um, I remember I watched Snowpiercer it probably like in 2020 for the first time. And I was like, whoa, this is a crazy concept. And I rewatched it. Um, and it was still crazy. It's kind of just goofy upon rewatching it being like, okay, what the hell is happening now? What is? How long does this train go on for? Um, but I love Bong Joon-ho and I think that he is really good at, um, again, subtlety and adding like Easter eggs or whatever you want to call them, symbolism. Um, I really liked it in general. Chris Evans is a really interesting cast choice, but it was good. Yeah, I think watching it after having watched it in 2013 when it came out mm. was, wow, a lot of these ideas um, really stick now. <laughs> And also the action and what you see on the screen may have changed, may have become outdated, but the things they're talking about are more important than ever. And I think if you were to tie the two movies together, just from our threads, I think it's the satire and classism that you see in both movies is a little more obvious in um, Snowpiercer because it's really a part of <laughs> the plot mechanism to get them yeah. through the train <laughs> as you get to um, through the classes. But yeah, the satire is a little more in your face in mm-hmm. Snowpiercer, but I think there's some like subtle things too. Like there's subtle comedy, um, there's subtle horror. Yeah. These are very like satire leaning movies, but again, they do a lot of stuff that um is is done really well um through each frame. I agree. Um and speaking of like through lines and tying things together, like the whole point of this podcast is like we want to do that with everything. Um, but the reason I chose these two movies is because there's a conspiracy theory circling the internet that has been, I think, originated in 2017 um, from a YouTuber named Rhino Stew, um, who had watched Snowpiercer and claims that his favorite movie is Willy Wonka. And the whole time he was watching Snowpiercer, all he could think about was how similar it was to Willy Wonka. Um, so if you're ready for it, I'm going to get into the theory that Snowpiercer is technically a sequel to Willy Wonka. And I think like you hear a million things like this, like there's a bunch of crazy different theories. Um, but this one is kind of crazy how similar they actually are. Um, so yeah. Yeah, let's hear it. Get right into it. Um, so in his YouTube video, uh, Rhino Stu states that both movies are about a group of characters who are working their way through a fantastic structure Unse- with, with unseen perils one by one each no yeah hold on <laughs> i wrote this down and i don't know what i'm saying cut that out cut that out, cut that out. um fantastic they're working their way through a, <laughs> they're working their way through a fantastic structure um with unseen perils and one by one each character is removed um in each different room that they go into or each different train car until one person makes it until the very end it's a very weird and visually amazing structure. So the factory versus the train. And then the last survivor at the end um, realizes that the whole thing was a test because the wealthy um, industrialer 
needs to find a new successor for his creation. Um, which is exactly what happens. So uh, the theory for the sequel is that Wilfred, 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 Wilfred is Charlie Bucket um, as a grown up who essentially, because he's so good at chemistry and percentages, as we learned in that school scene or those school scenes in Willy Wonka, um, predicted the failure of the CW7 on saving the world and decided was basically so he had taken over the factory he decided like his successor he's going to save everybody and um put them on this train and so curtis would technically be like the new charlie character and wilford is um charlie from the old movie who grew up and changed his name to wilford in order to replicate willy wonka um it gets kind of crazy um but uh but yeah so that's the general idea um some similarities that they have throughout the film is that like Willy Wonka engraving every you know structure in his uh or just all of his factory with W's everywhere the same way that Wilford does there's W's all throughout the train um another fun fact is that they both have access to creating uh this like fantastical technology and modes of transportation um like the riverboat uh or the glass elevator is uh similar to the train you would say um and then both movies also focus really heavily on class separation and um food production as well and just different relationships with food um so there's a lot of just mirrored characters and details throughout the whole thing um but yeah thoughts uh i love and respect other people who love films <laughs> just to put that together in their mind yeah, it really too. does paint the picture of how similar these movies are i'm even thinking of a dynamic between the two that wasn't mentioned in the conspiracy theory here is both kind of in on these very like aspirational um shots mm-hmm. and scenes they're almost like horrific maybe is not the right word but it's like so unknown so mysterious of what's going to happen next right. um where again charlie and um willy wonka and the grandfather are like in this glass um elevator in the sky and you're like what the heck is happening um although we have the books and we know what can happen next snowpiercer kind of same it's you know two characters are in the end out in the wild they see a polar bear they see human life Right. And there's something like so mysterious and terrifying, but aspirational about it. So that was one that kind of stuck out to me. Another thing too, is they both end with the kind of prospect that children are going to carry the future forward. Mm. Charlie's going to take over the factory and like the young children who survived the crash um, will encounter this new world. Um, a couple fun little points that tie together more of this theory is that when both when Willy Wonka greets Charlie, once he realizes that like he is the chosen one, he greets him by saying, Charlie, my boy. And then when Chris Evans makes it to the end of the train car, sees Ed Harris, he goes, uh, what's his name? Curtis, my good boy, or my dear boy, or whatever. <laughs> so that that's something similar. Um, and then another part of this theory is that some of the kids from the factory and characters from the original Willy Wonka 
are workers on the train. Um, for example, Franco the Elder is the guy who is like that ruthless killer. And the theory here is this, these character theories are a bit of a stretch, but they're still fun. So I'm going to get into them. Um, but the theory here is that Franco the Elder, who we first see killing someone with a gun, bullets are supposed to be extinct on the train, right? Um, we see him on a CCTV screen shooting someone in the head. And the theory here is that how could somebody possibly on a train where bullets have been extinct for forever be such a skilled killer? He must have been obsessed with watching media based on killing and violence. Must be Mike TV. There's one of them. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and then, um, oh, the other one is uh, Minister Mason, who's played by Tilda Swinton, who does such a good job all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, is based off of, or is the grown-up version of Veruca Salt, who, after having a near-death experience in the factory, turned her from an entitled entitled brat to a loyal servant, and is internally grateful to Wilford for saving her life and employing her on this train. Um, and this is a stretch, but one of the similarities is that they both both characters wear like a long sable coat, um, which is like just a fun little detail. Um, so yeah, there's like little things like that. Um, and then the other, the third, at least like biggest standout um, in this <laughs> theory is that, um, or I guess one of the biggest parts of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is the Oompa Loompas, iconic. Um, mm-hmm. They don't exist on this no piercer train, but their absence proves their extinction because... As we know from Roald Dahl's book, Oompa Loompas are from human environments. They can only survive in heat, which is why the factory is so hot. So, <laughs> Oompa Loompas are extinct at this point in 2014 when the Ice Age is occurring. Because they can't survive. And the director of the, of the facility, who at this point is Wilford, says that the, pe- the parts of the, 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 of the train that keep it running are extinct. And then the only thing that can keep them going is small people, like the children that he uses to keep the engine running. Whereas before that, it would have been Oompa Loompas. Um, so yeah. There's that. <laughs> but bravo. <laughs> Good work there. Okay. What's, what sticks out to me is just like this idea, this thought experiment of there's a film world and there's the world of the film and how those two play together. And I love the best way to understand this idea is actually going into TV and you look at a show like The Sopranos. What makes The Sopranos so interesting is these are Italian mafia guys who have consumed The Godfather and Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. And like that's that interplay of the film world and the world of film and how that makes characters um, behave and interact. That's how I, that's what I feel with like the Mike TV one, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. he's watching these things um, within the world. Even, even like Wilfred, maybe he just watches Charlie and Chocolate Factory. That's his favorite movie. Right. Yeah, that's why right. he is the way he is. Um, so there's good <laughs> interplay in that too. What, you know, one super obvious or two super obvious things we didn't really talk about is um, children and food. I think yes. these two movies are um, the plot really moves because of both. 
And, you know, Willy Wonka is a little obvious because you have children who want to get the factory and they want to experience the candy and they want to get through the factory tour. And Snowpiercer, it's um, food is probably the main motivator for all characters' actions. Yeah. And then, yeah, nothing works without the kids. Like literally the train doesn't work without the kids. And probably literally the emotion doesn't work without the children in that film. Oh my gosh, yeah, definitely. And then there's that, um, another big aspect is that scene where they get to the school and they're training the, the children to like live and die by Wilford's teachings. And there's another aspect of the whole prospect that film, children of the future and they have to train them to carry on, you know, whether it's going to be for good or for bad. Um, another character, or what I was going to say, this... Uh, similarity was the that they both have moles like the what's the guy who convinces them to steal the everlasting gobstopper is like um, and slug, slugworth yeah he's like working secretly the whole time um and then or is like will yeah i don't know wilkinson wilkinson and then gilliam gilliam is the mm-hmm. mole that was secretly working and it's all like this whole system that they had and it was like a test and whatnot. Um, but that's what, you know, Gilliam was like watching Curtis since he was a child and training him to take on Wilfred's prophecies, which is kind of what Gilliam did or whatever his name, the Willy Wonka one. That's what he did. He was like keeping his eye on Charlie. Who knows? Was, was the golden ticket planted? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Like these movies are pretty wild. Yeah. I would say just out of general movies you watch. I think what stuck out to me most is just how wild Willy Wonka is. And I wonder how you feel about these threads or feel about the conspiracy, depending on what movie you watched in what order. Right. <laughs> so I did Willy Wonka, then Snowpiercer. Um, if I watched Snowpiercer and then Willy Wonka, maybe I would have a totally different take on everything, but it just really stuck out to me that Willy Wonka has made some choices from a film that are just like absurd. Yeah, I see. I kind of watched Snowpiercer and then Willy Wonka. So, I mean, obviously not originally, but I guess it's a different perspective. And I watched Snowpiercer without the idea of like, this is like Willy Wonka. But then I watched them close enough together where I was like, okay, I see. And then I'm like watching Willy Wonka and I'm like, they totally did that in Snowpiercer. Um, But I don't think this is actually, for me personally, I don't think that this is a sequel. I think that definitely some strong inspiration has been pulled from literature and media for years it's incredibly influential but it is fun to like sit back and think about it specifically road doll books um Mm -hmm. have been really influential and just story-wise fantastical and how can you not pull from that as a creator you know tell and i think here would be my film school corner for everyone is this idea that comes from uh, more literature and narrative is intertextuality which is art speaks to each other. And sometimes we don't even know it's doing it. And I think that's kind of the crux of this show a little bit. And um, certainly Bong Joon-ho probably has seen Willy Wonka. Maybe he hasn't, but he has seen um, other pieces of art that speak to Willy Wonka over time. And those ideas and that narrative is present to him as well. I think these are great movies. I think if you need another Bong Joon-ho movie, I always recommend The Host. Obviously, Parasite is exceptional. I think he is one of the best contemporary filmmakers living. Um, So I'd give those. And then also Gene Wilder, just shout out. Anything he was in, Blazing Saddles, 
you name it. It's so, so good. Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, uh, Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. You got it. That's my favorite. That's how I first knew him. Maybe Willy Wonka beforehand, but definitely remembered him from Young Frankenstein. And then, ugh, he was so good. No Timothy Chalamet, but whatever. I promise we will not do that as a double feature here. Um, but this is, we can be Timothy Chalamet fans. We'll give him a chance. So to wrap us up, Siobhan and I, we did a Letterboxd episode, but we're just going to continue to read our recent activity um, yeah. just to see what we're doing, what we're watching. Do you want to go first or second, Siobhan? Um, I'll just go first only because I was just talking about Road Doll, and I just last night watched, uh, I think it's The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which was mm-hmm. one of the four adaptations Wes Anderson did, produced by Netflix, to um, of Road Doll stories. And that one specifically was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was only 45 minutes long. Um, it was just, fan- I don't know, it was, it was a gorgeous watch almost to where like I haven't read any of the Roald Dahl books, but I would have to have rewatched it again to really hear the story because you're just so mesmerized by everything on the screen. Um, and then we had a little, uh, me and my roommates had a little marathon uh, week. We watched Meet the Parents and then Meet the Fockers for the first time. So Very nice. that was a fun experience. I think Meet the Parents was better for sure. Um, Robert De Niro is insane. He wasn't speaking Italian in this movie, but um, it was still great. And then uh, Meet the Fockers was a far more goofy, but it's still a funny watch when you're just sitting around with friends. Um, so we fell off at Little Fockers, but um, I have no doubts it will come soon. Um, and then I don't know if I already, I already talked about the Poughkeepsie tapes. That's in my recent watch too. Um, that was traumatizing. And then the last thing I watched was Bride of Chucky because uh, Jennifer Tilly. And that was a fun watch too. Just ready for Halloween. Love it. Okay, what was your highest rated film and worst rated film? Out of those ones, um, highest was Henry Sugar. Um, I think I gave that four stars. And then Poughkeepsie Tapes and Bride of Chucky and Meet the Fockers all tied for two and a half stars. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, those were tough watches for me in different ways, but, um, you know, enjoyable. What the hell? So, and that's, Hey, movies are movies and that's what matters. And we've always said that. (laughs) My recent four are, um, Renfield. Oh, 2001, a space odyssey, the Muppet movie and scream six. Thoughts on Scream 6? Um, I think franchises we can let go as a society and we probably would feel better. <laughs> that's that's my lowest rated movie from those four. I, I would say that. if I didn't like people not seen... I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey is obviously a classic and mm-hmm. it's worth it. And there's a lot of great debate and dialogue of what makes it so great. It is a very slow movie. But I think the payoffs is definitely worth it. And yeah. I was really glad I watched it, but it took me a while to get through it. Yeah, it's me too. When I first, I mean, I think I've only seen it one or two times, but the same. What's My highest rated movie, The Muppet Movie, five stars. Nice. Five out of five stars. <gasps> five stars. That's huge. Perfect film, no revisions, no feedback. <laughs> Period. And this is the one from the 70s? Yeah, this is one from 1979. Not the Jason Siegel one. 
Oh, yeah. That one's, I mean, obviously we all love the Muppets, but mm-hmm. this one you have Kermit riding a bicycle. I mean, God, that's, that's just insane. like movie magic. He has legs, which is beautiful. <laughs> What's your last one? Is that the four? Yeah, that was the four. Um, obviously we are watching Swimming Pool and I have not oh, um, rated yeah. it yet. Our Italian, was it La Bisson? I don't know. I should yeah. not pronounce La things Bessie. on this show. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, La, La Bisson. Um, yeah, watched that one. That one was, I enjoyed that. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this show. We'll do another double feature next time. We don't have it planned out. We're hoping it's another crazy, absurd conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Looks like Siobhan has an idea. You want to throw it out here? Um, well, I just want to give a shout out to Stop Making Sense. And you Ooh, watched okay. the Muppet movie. And I think David Byrne and Kermit are <laughs> together in that way, as we know. Um, but yeah, just thought came to mind. Go see Stop Making Sense. And the Muppet movie, double feature. Just watch this. Um, But on the next episode, we'll have a different double feature to pull apart, talk about, um, admire, observe, and obsess over movies, because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So I'll bid you farewell, and go movie, people. Movie. Bye.